Hello and welcome to the formal review. Today, we will be looking at the film, Apocalypse Now. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the review. Hello everyone and welcome back to the formal review. This is episode 45 and I thank you all for tuning in once again. Now this is a slightly special episode because it is a sort of retrospective review. The film was originally released in 1979 and again in 2001, but they did do a new release of the film a few weeks ago, so I thought that warranted a review. I did not do a rewatch of all these films because that's just a really long time that I do not have time for, and there's a lot to take in on this overall film in general. But I will state the differences between the films. Now before I get started, I do want to preface this episode with a definite spoiler warning as this film has been out for four years. I will do my best to not completely spoil the film, but as I always say, I do suggest that you see the film so you fully understand everything. But if you do not care about that, keep listening. Apocalypse Now is an epic war film about the Vietnam War, directed, produced, and co-written by Francis Ford Coppola. It stars Marlon Brando, Robert Duvall, Martin Sheen, Frederick Forrest, Albert Hall, Sam Bottoms, Lawrence Fishburne, and Dennis Hopper. It was loosely based on the 1899 novella Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. However, the setting was changed from the late 19th century Congo to the Vietnam War. The film follows a river journey from South Vietnam into Cambodia, taken by Captain Benjamin L. Willard, played by Sheen, who is on a secret mission to assassinate Colonel Kern, played by Brando, who is a renegade army special forces officer accused of murder and who is presumed insane. Now this film's plot may seem fairly simple, but the execution of the overall film is amazing. Yes, this film is known for its iconic lines of dialogue like I love the smell of napalm in the morning and its iconic ride of the Valkyries helicopter assault. But this film is so much more than that. Coppola has created this brilliant film that not only looks amazing, but its messages also still hold up today, 40 years later. The film looks at the horror, the absurdity, and the futility of war, but also its damaging psychological effect. The film takes these characters into literal and metaphorical dark, and the film suggests that war indulges the darkest and foggiest parts of human nature. At the beginning of the film, even Captain Willard is bored with not being on a mission. And I'll go into him in a little bit, but in short, the film questions his sanity from the get-go. And this film really does start off with a simple plot in mind. It's to kill a bad guy. However, the film slowly morphs into this descent into hell, both metaphorically and visually. And Coppola creates this amazingly looking film that shows his characters impeding madness. He emphasizes the fear of the unknown by cloaking these scenes in fog and mist. And then he uses masks to symbolize a new identity that his characters take on in order to deal with war, such as Willard's smashing of his reflection in the first scene. And then again, when a character puts camouflage on his face when it's not even necessary. The river itself represents a metaphorical and literal journey that these characters are going on. The film and the characters progressively get darker as they venture further and further into the jungle. The cinematography starts off with the sunny helicopter, then later an arrow attack in the fog, and then a bridge later 
elevator only lit by flares and searchlights. The lighting contrast is even shown with turrets, as his face is sometimes in shadow and sometimes it's not. Now while this may have been originally done to ignore Brando's weight gain, it does show some duality to his ideals, which I'll go into it later. Now the film is not directly anti-war, and Coppola has said that it is not one. However, it does show the pains and atrocities of war fought by the United States in the name of democracy and freedom. The film further shows the absurdity of what Americans are fighting for, to go home. To them, this is surfing, playboy, and rock and roll music, which honestly, if they stop fighting, they could go home to. The difference here is that the Vietnamese are fighting to live in their home. And I'm not saying this film is trying to make the audience sympathetic to the Vietnamese cause, I'm only saying it shows the absurdity of the American side of things. The film even has dialogue stating that these things that they bring into somebody else's home remind them of home, but then they have them miss home even more, which is obviously contrasted with the idea of fighting to go home, because you're just missing it more and more as you bring in more aspects of it. And then the film has Kilgore played phenomenally by Robert Duvall, telling his men to surf or to fight, and to have him pay more attention to the waves of the waters than the lives on the beach below him. The film also shows a team of American journalists filming the soldiers and telling them not to look at the camera, so that the war would be looked at as entertainment. And honestly, Honestly, this is a fairly meta point, showing that this film is not that. It's not just going to have big explosions, and it's not going to have comedy. It's going to show you the true aspects of war through its messages. Coppola shows American troops killing innocent civilians instead of helping them. The military acts as if they own this land, taking out territory, and firing without question, even when somebody only wants to go grab their puppy. And this hypocrisy is further emphasized by Willard's mission itself. The US government has made killing Kurtz a priority, even if it means killing off their own men and resources. Why? Because they don't have control over the situation. The film questions what lives matter. Even though it is pretty evident by the end of the film that Kurtz has gone insane, the government making killing him a priority after him killing only two Vietnamese who are working against the United States seems fairly hypocritical when and many US troops and Vietnamese civilians are dying in the overall war. Willard even says, we cut them in half with a machine gun and then give them a band-aid. Then when he shoots an injured woman, his men's perception of him changes. Yet when one of them is not looked at any differently after preemptively killing an entire family, but he was following protocol versus Willard wasn't. And Coppola uses specific songs in the film to set the mood and add another layer of authenticity. The music in the film does move the the audience with the characters of the film to have them feel for them when they get mail and read the letters out, out loud and the audience wants them to go home but then later the audience will hate them for what they're willing to do to get themselves home. Coppola uses this music to also emphasize the fictional aspect of the story but each moment that also feels unreal feels real at the same time. This film establishes that even though the story is fictional it is still one that demonstrates the true psychological effects that war has on a person. The film starts off with the end by the doors showing how this is about Willard's downward spiral that does continue throughout the rest of the film. As I mentioned, the film shows Willard as possibly insane at the beginning of the film and Willard is played wonderfully by Sheen. In this scene, he drunkenly punches his mirror to give him some sort of pain as he did on his first tour of Vietnam. And this scene is so much more authentic 
given the fact that Sheen was actually drunk and the blood dripping off his hand is his. It really shows that this man has a mind that has been morphed by war. He no longer wants to fight to go home. He wants to stay and be in the fight. And this again is contrasted to all of the other soldiers in this war there. And he takes this new mission because he's bored. He legitimately say, what else was I gonna do? Even if he realizes the absurdity of it, he does it anyway. As the film progresses, he does what he has to do to complete it. And he stays out of anything that doesn't further along. He goes along with Kilgore's mass mayhem because he knows that they're going to escort him to the river that they need to be on. And then he shoots a Vietnamese peasant so that they don't have to take her to a med and they can continue on their mission. So when Willard joins the crew, he notices their inexperience in comparison to himself. They are young and relatively naive about the journey that they're about to go on. Lance, played by Bottoms, is focused more on his tan. Queen, played by a 15-year-old Lawrence Fishburne, jams out to the radio. Jeff, played by Forrest, wants to go find mangoes at night in the middle of the jungle. And Chi, played by Paul, is calm and optimistic by the overall war. But as this film progresses, the crew's sanity and innocence starts to lessen. And this is shown through many visual cues, and some are more obvious than others. Jeff realizes the danger of the jungle when a tiger attacks him, and Lance puts camouflage on his face in the middle of the day. As, as they journey down the river, Willard slowly becomes obsessed with Kurt, and as he thinks to himself, the audience starts to wonder if he will join Kurt when they meet, or will he go Mission. The film is amazing with building up this antagonist without even showing him on screen, but even so, making the audience wonder if he actually is an antagonist. When we were watching it, my fiance was watching it for the first time, and she thought that Kilgore was the true villain of this film. Obviously, that's not the case, but this film builds up this character with only showing old photos or what the army says about him. And Willard is willing to kill him, even though he has this admiration for Kurt, but he hasn't met the man before. How do you know somebody truly until you meet them? But he's going off of what the US government told him and the audience that he's insane. And while in the story, relatively speaking, the US government is right, he is insane, but it does bring into this aspect of Willard and the audience has not met this man before yet. We're willing to throw him off as being this villain. We don't even see him until the last third of the film. We don't know what he looks like. How do we know that this is exactly what we're going to expect? How do you plan for something like that? And Willard really represents how the American soldiers were willing to kill innocent Vietnamese civilians. And his journey is this slow path into madness that is more complicated than initially anticipated. And similarly, the US group came into this country wanting just to kill Charlie. But when they see the damage that they do and things can change, the big question becomes, do you follow orders or do you follow your morals? In the end, Willard kind of represents a hybrid of the two and Kurtz represents an extreme version of following orders. Kurtz is obviously insane as he is killing at random and really leaving dead bodies and severed heads around as evidence of his ideals. He answers to no one and claims morality is a liability in wartime. It's judgment that defeats us. Randall plays his character absolutely crazy as this larger-than-life human who completely understands war. He knows what he's doing for it, but he still sees the hypocrisy of what the U.S. is doing to the Vietnamese. However, his argument is that he takes morality out of the equation. And then one could really argue that Kurtz is sane in the context of an insane war. In this scenario, he is basically Frankenstein's monster. 
he is willing to go to the places that the U.S. government is not willing to. But he is still overall following their mission. He did what he was told, but then his career was ruined when he killed the Vietnamese intelligence agent. He then kept going and killing, even though the U.S. did not agree with his method. And this film even touches a little bit on an anti-government message with his treatment of Kurt. Kurt killed these two Vietnamese men that were against the United States, against orders. Then when he went completely out of their control and went off the grid according to them, they ordered him to be assassinated twice. However, Kurtz converted the first assassin, which then has the audience debating on if he will again with Willard, and honestly away with the audience as well. And he's essentially become this monk of war, which is shown by his outfit and his baldness. Even though his methods are dark, there is something spiritual and mystical about him. He's even shown in shadows or a mask for the entirety of his scenes, which adds this surrealness to his character. Coppola's use of T.S. Eliot's poem, The Hollow men and love song of J. Alfred Bufrock and Kurt's dialogue together create this being that is, meant, that is mentally, spiritually, and physically insane. And he has just succumbed to the darkness so much that he'd give Bane a run for his money. I was born in it. This darkness shows the insanity that comes with full freedom with no regulation or order, which contrasts the message of what the U.S. is fighting for in Vietnam, which was freedom. This horror that Kurt has succumbed to is the darkest point of the human mind. And Willard is his escape. Willard hears every piece of Kurt's journey, but ultimately decides against following in his footsteps when he completes his mission. Interestingly, again, he is not doing this of free will. He's actually following orders again. So there's a debate here is that is Willard free in doing this? And then will he return to society as a changed man or will he still age to kill more? And the film doesn't really give a definite answer either way, but his viewpoint on war has definitely changed for better or worse. And one could imply that this film does show that Will will separate one from their morality, but it also suggests that one can reject the horror that comes from that separation. So as I stated earlier, this film has had multiple releases. Yet the theatrical cut in 1979, the Redox cut in 2001, and the final cut earlier this year. The Redox cut had an extra Playboy bunny scene that I think did give some of the characters better development and really spoke for the barbaric and radical aspects of war. The Redox cut also added this ghost aspect and a scene with Kurt reading a Time magazine. The latter of which was not in the final cut, which I think is unfortunate as it gave a humanistic quality to Kurt. The biggest addition to the Redox is the French plantation scene, which also continues on in the final cut. And I think it does take away from the overall arc of the film, but it does still have some interesting and provocative points to make. And this entire scene just feels off as it takes place in a land that is filled with darkness. Yet there's still some light where Parisian attitudes are found. I can't honestly tell if this scene was put there to be a representative of past before the war, or it was there to give this duality to Willard that seemingly wasn't there before. But either way, it is still fairly vague on why this scene needs to be here. However, when I did some research into it, I also found out that the children reciting the poem are Roman and Giancarlo Coppola, the latter of which died seven years after the original film was released. And simply knowing this adds a little bit more to the ghostly feeling of this part. And then had me thinking, how much of it was actually real in the story? Thinking of maybe a possibility that it could have been a drug-induced hallucination. 
these men, after some of their men were killed, can go on shore and maybe they induce themselves in a bunch of drugs and it's how they're dealing with the death of some of their comrades. And frankly, it kind of makes sense going off of how surreal the rest of the film was. And like I said earlier, even moments that feel unreal feel real at the same time. So you don't know which part is the real and which part is the fiction. It's such an interesting concept watching this scene because I don't know how to take it. It could have been all of these things put together in one and maybe that's the genius of it that I'm just not understanding. But I think that this is my overall issue with the additions of the films that have been released. I do think that the original film was amazing as it was and then they added some things later on and then some of which were removed in the final cut. I think that some of the stuff in the Redux cut could have been kept and some of them not so much. I've liked certain things about each cut and disliked some things about other cuts. However, I think this is something that depends on the viewer because the film is fantastic no matter which version you see. Now overall, this film was a great time and it definitely holds up 40 years later. Knowing how much stress went into making this film really shows the dedication and the effort that was put into it. The weather wasn't great in the Philippines, the delayed production, people had heart attacks and epileptic seizures on set. It's a really intense movie to watch and also to think about how it was made and really exemplifies a phrase that Corpus said that this film is not about Vietnam, it is Vietnam because it was a horrific event plus it was a horrific event to film and really there aren't a lot of films that are like this nowadays. Each viewing no matter the cut is an experience to watch. The film is brilliantly made. Coppola and his cinematographer Vittorio Dorado used lighting to create some of cinema's most iconic shots that are still being replicated today. The film is an absolute spectacle and it takes a dive into war that a lot of war films don't. It can be debated that this is the best war movie of all time, but one cannot deny that it is an absolute cinematic masterpiece that is worth watching again and again. And I would rate this film a 5 out of 5 bow ties. Now what did you think of the film? What is your favorite cut and what is your interpretation? Let me know and hit me up on social media. Formal reviews on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And the URL is all the same. That's the formal review. Thank you all for tuning in once again. I really appreciate you all listening. I see the numbers and I'm really thankful for you all tuning in. So you never miss an episode, please subscribe on your favorite streaming service. The formal reviews on Spotify, iTunes, Google Music, and much more. Pretty much any service that has podcasts. In addition, I am always willing to grow and improve, so please leave a review on your favorite service. Feel free to also tell me what you want to hear and or a film that you want me to review. I do this for you all and I want to keep it entertaining. Each pair of ears that you give to this podcast allows me to continue. For those who have supported me on a financial basis, I really appreciate the fact that you have supported me in such a way. For those who want to give some financial support, please go to anchor.fm forward slash the dash formal dash review and click support this podcast. And really any donation is appreciated. As with every episode, I do have music in the background. I do not own the rights to this music, but I put it in the show to support each film's score. This is an important part of the film and can really bring the audience back into the film's environment. This episode's music is from the Apocalypse Now original motion picture soundtrack composed by Carmine Coppola and Francis Coppola, released on 1979 by Kel Ketra. Thank you all for tuning in once again, and until next time, I'll see you at the movies. Take care, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Formal Review. We hope you'll join us again.